not going to do that. <laughs> um, just want to take a few minutes to reflect on this psalm, Psalm 88. We have been exploring this series on suffering and hope. And this psalm is one which has been observed to capture individual lament or um, individual sorrow in a particularly uh, poignant way, in a powerful way. And so I just want us to be able to pause for a while and think about some of the things that we might learn from this as we face our own sorrow and suffering and lament as we feel the weight of that in our lives, as we look for ways to make sense of it, as we look for ways simply to survive and get through the next hour or the next day or the next week, because often when we're facing suffering, that's the place that we're in. So I'd like to read the psalm, first of all, and then just offer some reflections on two aspects of this um, song that um, can help to assist us in these spaces of suffering and pain. So Psalm 88, it's titled A Song, A Psalm of the Sons of Korah from the Director of Music, according to Mahalath Leonoth. It's a mascal of Herman the Ezraite. Just a little bit of kind of setting it in place. There's a songwriter here somewhere who has composed and brought this together. Um, it's possibly taken further shape as the community has used it. But it finds its origin in a life and in human experience of suffering and pain. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more and who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths, your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends. You have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord. Every day I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord? Do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. 
All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. The weight of that psalm feels heavy in the room. It feels heavy when you read it. And if you take it upon your lips as a prayer, it definitely feels heavy in your soul. A psalm that finishes on the note, darkness is my closest friend, is a psalm which is written out of some of the most extreme kind of circumstances of suffering and anguish of heart and life. And I wonder if you've ever had an experience in your life or maybe sitting in one now, a season, a chapter, an experience of deep darkness and suffering. A season where you have been overwhelmed by the weight of life and feel all alone in your pain. A season where God has seemed absent rather than present, or even worse, seemed angrily opposed to you and your well-being and your flourishing. Because in Psalm 88, the songwriter captures this type of human experience. Many commentators call this the darkest song in Psalms. There are many, many Psalms of lament. Scholars kind of um, square it differently. But there's at least 60 Psalms of individual and communal lament within the songbook of the Hebrew people and the songbook of the Christian church. But all the other songs of suffering and lament contain rays of hope and threads of love which are pretty visible within the fabric or within the room. Most finish on a lyric and a note of hope, the expectation of God's good, but not this one. This one finishes, darkness is my closest friend. It's talking about a season in life where whatever the hunger for hope and whatever has been done to try and revive hope within this person's life, it doesn't arrive. They still sit in the darkness. So how might this song help us in our own darkness? Is there any sign of hope here? Well, I think we can find some. But I think, first of all, we need to consider a couple of things that are going on. It's evident as we listen to the words and when you read them that the songwriter is pouring out their heart to God. We hear the anguish. We hear the desperation. We hear the loneliness. He draws all the well, all the pain up from the well of the heart and pours it out honestly before God. There's no suppression. There's no kind of hiding the pain or trying to push it down and pretend that it's not there. It's interesting. I think it's the same in relationship with God, however we conceive God to be, as it is in human relationships, that, that when we suppress 
those things that have arisen in the context of the relationship that are, that are creating draining negative energy and we don't address them, then what it is, it can become a destructive force within that relationship. It's like, you know, sometimes when there's something going down in a relationship with someone else where you're feeling upset or you're feeling angry and you don't say anything about it, it becomes obvious to the other person because you're starting to get passive-aggressive. <laughs> the relationship is affected even if you pretend that there's not an issue. And what I love about this psalm is it says, if there is an issue, pour it out. Don't lock it in. Don't pretend it's not there. Don't put on your Christian face. <laughs> Be the real person, not the plastic person. And it's raw, and it's honest, and it's authentic. It's barstool in its rawest form here. Look at the language of the psalm and feel the weight of the suffering and pain that there is in this person's life. The word overwhelmed is used twice, verse 3 and verse 7. The sense of being unable to cope. Everything has become too much. It's like a, a barrage of waves that have smashed over the person and they try to get up and another wave knocks them down. And they try to get up and another wave knocks them down. Or a, or a tidal wave that has swept in and gathered them up. And, and the power and the energy of, of what is taking place is such that they cannot control it. An army sweeping in with overwhelming force, driving out inhabitants from an area. Unable to do anything to resist this is the sense of being overwhelmed, a force beyond control, beyond the capacity to cope. So it's a deep, dark place. It's not just kind of an everyday irritation here, a temporary problem. It's a deep darkness that has descended into this person's life. They feel overburdened. And we'll come back to this shortly, but the, the, the overburdening is partly wrapped up in this understanding that they have that, that God's anger is lying heavily upon them. Some of you who have journeyed through grief, journeyed through um, or, or journeying with depression or other experiences where, you've, where there's some kind of um, mental health challenge even that you're facing, but particularly in, in grief and great loss, when you experience grief as that weight upon your chest that wants to crush you and you cannot, you cannot get it off, this is the sense that is, is, is being expressed here in the psalm. I've got this crushing weight sitting upon me. It's too, I can't breathe. There's a pain inside my tinana, my body, that I'm carrying as a result of this suffering and this grief. And the psalmist goes on to, to sing, say that they feel like they're cut off from God's care. They're near the point of death, set apart with the dead, like the slain lying in the grave who you remember no more, cut off from care, like a dead man walking, like a, a ghost of himself. We've used that expression or herself sometimes, haven't we? Sometimes it's descriptive of someone who is in the valley of Achor, the valley of sorrow, this deep, deep place. 
And then this feeling terror-stricken and in deep despair, I have borne your terrors. Even more foreboding is the sense that these terrors that assail me, this deep fear and anxiety and fright, which sucks all life out of the body and mind and soul, is something that, that, that God is doing. And then there's this feeling of being repulsive and ugly and unlovable. You've taken from me my closest friends and you've made me repulsive to them. The sense of being loathsome or, or sickening or disgusting or abhorrent. These, these threads, dark, dark threads of suffering and grief are woven so tightly around this person's life. They feel abandoned and friendless and alone. You have taken from me my closest friend, he says in verse 8. And then in verse 18, you've taken from me friend and neighbor. I'm all on my own. God's abandoned me. My neighbors abandoned me. My friends have abandoned me. I'm repulsive. I'm loathsome. I'm all alone. The weight of God's terror is upon me. And then the other image that is created in verse 8 is that of being imprisoned. I, I can't escape. I'm trapped and locked in. There's no way out. So we have these battering waves and this cruel army, this crushing weight, this deep, dark prison, these pictures of what the suffering is like for this person. I think there's something in there that captures elements of all our experience and suffering in some way, shape, or form. And one ray of hope that I take from this is that solidarity in human suffering. We, are, we feel alone. What the psalm is saying is we are not alone. That the suffering that we experience, although it has unique contours and features, given the circumstances that we're in, is something that is shared by all of us as human beings living in this crazy, mysterious, and often cruel world. And so the psalmist cries out, this is my life, this is my suffering, this is my world. Like Job saying, why did I not die at birth? Or Jeremiah saying, why did I even come forth from the womb to see the toil and sorrow and to spend my days in shame? Or Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This sense that the suffering, which is unique but common, is something that God stands in solidarity with us and says, I'm big enough to hear the depth of this and stand with you in it. Many people who have lived or live with depression find that this psalm catches much of, captures much of their experience. Catherine Green McCrate has written a book called Darkness is My Only Companion. She's a, an Episcopal priest um, serving um, in America. And this book is a Christian response to mental illness. And she talks about the fact that therapists and counselors and psychiatrists and, uh, and others working in the professional health field were readily available, but, but she found it difficult to find 
people who could help her make sense of her pain with regard to her life as a follower of Jesus. And that brings me to this next question that arises for me from this and that I I just want to sit alongside this invitation that there is in the psalm to take what is in the well of our heart and authentically place it before God and to know that that is something which can help us in the journeying with the pain, to give expression to it, to lay it out. But the other is the struggle to understand God. Notice all the questions that are there. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up to praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? This is all a a framework of understanding for death that the Hebrew people held at that time. But also is these questions rising up. And when you're facing suffering and pain, man, do the questions come and come thick and come fast and overwhelmingly. And so often what pain undoes us and suffering undoes us because the neat, tidy little structures for understanding God and life and faith that we build in the good times can't sustain the battering that suffering brings to them. And they fall over and prove to be inadequate for us. And we're left with a whole bunch of other questions. And that can make the journey even more lonely. I wonder as I read this psalm, for instance, the way the psalmist, the songwriter, attributes the suffering to the anger of God, whether ultimately that exacerbated and inflamed and deepened and protracted the suffering rather than perhaps bringing the light of hope in some earlier way. Because a songwriter has their understanding of God that has been shaped by their own experience, but it's been formed in a community of others, and particularly in the Jewish community, formed by an understanding of exodus and law. Hebrew understanding, for instance, of the anger of God was primarily taken from the events of exodus and the giving of the law of Moses. And God's wrath, as they understood it, or anger, was his judgment measured out in response to violations of his covenant. So individually and communally, they were often left wondering, have I done something to upset God? And what the heck is it if I can't readily identify it? And the anguish of heart that came from the unknowing. Is that an adequate framework for a follower of Jesus to try and understand suffering? Well, Jesus, I think, brought a a very timely reminder that we need to find some ways of reframing suffering in the world. That the way the psalmist often reframes it up is not going to be adequate. You remember in John's Gospel when some of the people pointed to the blind man and said, who, who sinned, this, this man or his parents? They had this concept that that suffering of blindness must have been as a result of some sin from someone somewhere. And Jesus says, no, you've got it wrong. And the attempt to either attribute someone else's suffering to some act of sin or even our own can lead 
to this deeply um, distorted relationship with God as well as relationship with others. So we're faced, even as we give expression to the pain that is in us with the challenge of creating new lenses for understanding who God is in this space. And the hope often comes through the reframing that takes place. When we step out of the castle of beliefs that we have constructed for ourselves, that we think can explain it all, and we walk into that world of mystery and say, God, I don't understand anymore. My beliefs just don't work. I'm going to have to find a new way. And maybe I'm going to be living in this liminal space for some time <laughs> before I ultimately find out what the suffering looks like and find some light and hope and answers. I'm just going to have to trust that you hang on to me in the dark <laughs> because sometimes you feel like you can't hold on any longer. And I wonder ultimately with this kind of thing, whether it's not so much where we stand. Helen and I were having a little conversation about some things this week, and I was thinking it's not so much where we stand that's important. When I was younger in the faith, I thought that was, I was going to build this wonderful castle of strong belief that I could defend against all comers. <laughs> and um, life has smitten me. <laughs> I don't live with that hope any longer. So I wonder whether it's not so much where we stand, but the direction that we're traveling in that is much more important. Why does the, and if we are moving in the direction of love, which is at the heart and essence of who God is, then that's going to be much more important about the beliefs that we might choose to defend and build and espouse. Because ultimately, that's what Jesus is doing. He's gathering together a people who's pulling into the heart of God, who is known first and foremost as the God of love. So this psalm, with all its darkness, offers us some hope. There is the solidarity of human suffering, even though the individual contours are unique. There is this this realization that we can pour out our hearts to a God who will listen. And there's this realization that as we journey on, we can find new ways, new lenses through of seeing God, new lenses through which to view God that will enable the weight of suffering in many instances at least to be lightened if not removed. And this psalm, this psalm offers us Something of that. So continue pouring out your heart to God when you're walking through those spaces. And do it authentically. Bast all it. Do it honestly. He won't put a time limit on you like some of us do, however. <laughs> you have as long as you like to say as much as you like, as honestly as you like. Deep, rich relationships come from authenticity. Don't hide it. And then continue wrestling with God. Put those questions there. There may be a silence at times and no answers coming back, but keep wrestling and keep looking for ways of reframing the understanding that you carry, especially when it kicks back on you and just brings deeper grief. Venture out beyond the castle walls. The God of love will meet you there.
Let's pray. Our loving God, we are on holy ground when we touch on themes of human suffering. We dare not profess to understand the pain of another, even though there are common threads that run through our stories. And we sit in this space, many of us conscious of pain, pain in our own lives, pain in the lives of those that we love. Wairu Tapu, Holy Spirit, give us grace that we might be able to bring our pain and suffering to you. Give us grace that we might find hope in the midst of these places of struggle and suffering. Help us to bring genuine comfort to those in our lives who are walking in darkness, as the psalmist does here. Be our hope. Be our shield. Be our strength. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.